Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 10 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the evening session of Sunday the 5th of July 2009, entitled The Basis of Our Faith, Part 3. And the Bible readings are taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, and 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and while you hold your place there, Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy word, beginning at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, Ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank you so much again, Lord. Just, Lord, first of all, for the simple privilege of being here with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, gathered together in this place that's been set aside, dedicated to you for your work and for worship. And Lord, as we gather here this evening, we thank you, Lord, for the blessings that have already been ours in fellowship and singing from our hearts, the praying. And Lord, we just pray now that as we look into your word, Father, we pray that you would use this time to speak to each and every one of our hearts. Lord, we stand in great need. We recognize so very much, Lord, that we need you. We need your anointing. We need your touch to accomplish anything that will be accomplished here this evening. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Only a couple of you that are here this evening that were not here this morning. We're continuing in our series and... We're looking at the first of the fundamentals of the faith that we are to contend for, simply entitled, The Basis of Our Faith, The Word of God. We looked in the first uh, sermon at the matter of inspiration, and then, of course, this morning, for those that were uh, here with us uh, for the message this morning, we also looked at not only is the Word of God inspired, which literally means that God has breathed every word of it to us. But we saw also that if God is the one that wrote it, God is the one that gave it, then it is inerrant. It is completely without error, and we can have confidence in that fact. But I said this evening that we would be looking on to a third thing about God's Word to hopefully both encourage you in just how precious God's Word is to us but also to remind us that these are areas that, folks, we cannot compromise. 
These are areas that we must be willing to contend for, to stand for, to fight for. And as those that have gone before us, if it were required to even die for these truths without forsaking them. This evening, we're going to look at this idea of not only the Word of God being inspired, not only can we know that it's been breathed from God without error and that it is inerrant, but that it is also infallible. Now, let me just give you a couple of verses to start with. First of all, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 16 and verse 17, notice a very short verse. But notice what this verse says. It says, and it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. It's easier for everything that you see that exists in heaven and earth to suddenly be gone than for even the smallest part of God's Word to fail. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10 and 11, the Word of God says, For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He's using this wonderful illustration. We look around us at nature itself. You know, the earth is, is watered from the heavens, but as it is watered, it comes for a purpose that other things can be fed and grow from it. Listen, he says, so shall my word, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Can we grasp that truth this evening? You see, just as inspiration and inerrancy are so closely tied together, so is infallibility. Inspiration and inerrancy have to do more with the way that God has given us his word. But infallibility has to do with what it accomplishes once it's given. You see, though inerrancy and infallibility are so closely related, it is entirely possible for something in itself to be completely without error and yet not to accomplish what it was meant to accomplish. It can be seen all around us, in the natural world, in science, in business, in almost any area of our life that we look. I would ask you this evening, have you ever set out in your life to accomplish something, just one thing specifically. And you've done everything that you should do. You've done everything that you could do. You've done it all just as you ought to do it. And still, somehow, things just didn't work out like they were supposed to, like you had planned them to. You couldn't have done your part more correctly. You simply didn't do anything wrong. And yet... It just didn't work out like you planned it. Anytime it ever happened, of course, to all of us. You see, the truth is, is that it's impossible with God's word. God has given his word for a purpose. And just as surely 
as he has breathed and given us that word himself and he's given it to us without error, it is impossible for his word to fail to do what he meant for it to accomplish. Impossible. God's truths cannot fail. God's principles that he gives us here, they cannot fail. We find that when God's word in all of its Glory with his inspiration, without error whatsoever, when it is applied, it is interpreted properly and used as he directs us to use it, it is impossible for it not to accomplish what he sent it to do. We find that, you know, I guess that so many things in my life... <laughs> I've set out with absolute perfect intentions. I've had certain goals in mind, and that's where I was heading, and that's what I was doing, and doing everything that I knew to do it. Yet sometimes I just didn't get where I thought that I was going. But God has promised us. God has promised us that his word cannot fail. He's promised us that it cannot return to him void. But that for which he has sent it to do, it will accomplish it. God's word is inspired. God's word is inerrant in everything. And God's word is infallible. Grasp the fact it cannot fail. It's never failed yet, and it will not fail you. We sung that great old song earlier, standing on the promises of Christ my Lord. I mean, we can stand firm on those things. We sang last Sunday, how, how firm a foundation that we have in his word. We can stand on that this evening because it's God's word. And it is inspired, and it is inerrant, and it is infallible. But I want to give you one this evening that probably brings about the greatest controversy in Christian circles today. And that's that it's indestructible. We tend to call it preserved, the preservation of God's point. You see, at this point, with the scriptures that we've looked at, we could say that we have made our case for, sometimes we use these words, and I, and I remember I was, I was reading some author sometime in the past couple of weeks, and I, I, I can't remember who it was now, but he was talking about the fact that at one time, all that you had to say was, I believe that God's word was inspired. Now, this, this, this writer lived a couple hundred years ago. But he said, then along came the fact that because of, as so many times, the tags, the titles, the things that we come out with are to go against error that we are having to rebuff somewhere else. And he said that finally we had to go from just saying that it was inspired to saying that it was verbally inspired. Because everybody that believed it was inspired didn't believe that every single word was inspired. And that's what we mean by verbal inspiration, every word inspired, which we saw in Scripture. And then, of course, he said that went on, and okay, yeah, every word was inspired, but it doesn't apply to every part of our life, only to faith and practice and things like this. So suddenly we're having to say we believe in verbal plenary inspiration, which is really the case that we've proved in these first three, that every word of God, every single word was breathed by God himself, and that all of it covers every subject area, whatever that it touches on, it's God's word upon it. Nothing is left out. We don't have to worry about trying to pick and choose 
which parts apply and which ones don't, which ones that, that we can have confidence in and which ones that we can just push aside and not worry about. You see, what we've said is that it's God's Word, that we believe that those original writings that are normally called the autographs of the 66 books of the Old and the New Testaments, that they were inspired, breathed by God through the writers that he used to pen those books. That inspiration extends to every word, which is why we say verbal into every area of Scripture, inclusive of all subject matter that's addressed. But furthermore, as those autographs were God-breathed, it can only follow that if they were given by God, that they were inerrant, that they were infallible. But here's the real question now that we've... So that that's true. And to say we accept all that because it's God's word. Do you and I still have the inspired, inerrant, infallible words today? Right now. Do we have them? In other words, if God gave us his word nearly 2,000 years ago, has it been preserved? Or has it been destroyed somewhere along the way? How confident can you be that when you take your Bible that you've got right now, how confident can you be that you have the very Word of God? That's pretty important. And that's why that as we look at this, that so much of the great controversy today concerning all the different Bible translations, it really comes down to what you believe about this particular issue of preservation of God's Word. Debates are many. You can fill some more libraries with the books on them. Interestingly, probably some of you have read more of those books than you should have, but if you've ever read many of them, interestingly, you'll find something that I've noticed at least, that the majority of those books will always begin from a man's perspective. In other words, they'll begin by telling you what they, the author, believe. They'll begin by quoting you this and this scholar and this and this expert on the subject. Or they'll begin by telling you what this university teaches or what this denomination says or what this church says or whatever. Sometimes they'll even begin with the things like which manuscripts are best? Which ones are the most reliable? Which ones are the oldest? What type of translation is best to use? to give us an accurate, readable translation of God's Word. And the truth is, is that, folks, most of those are valid points. They're valid points to make. They're extremely important things many times. But they're certainly not the place to begin when we're speaking about God's Word. Many of those things will take on an all-new meaning, a total different level of importance, depending upon what we believe about this matter of preservation. You see, I believe with all my heart in the verbal plenary inspiration of those original autographs. And if that be the case, then we've got to ask ourselves, has God preserved those writings for you and I today? Isn't it a given that we should begin with what God says before we start trying to figure out what all the different experts' ideas are? What does God say about 
preservation. If we've already established that God said it, and that because God said it, it can't be wrong, it can't contain error, and it can never fail us, what does God say about this matter of preservation? Well, we've already looked at Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to reread that to you, verses 17 and 18. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am come not to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. We find that we looked at Psalm chapter 12, verse 6 in one of the previous sermons as well. But notice that in conjunction with the verse that follows it. We looked at the fact that said, The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. But the next verse, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. What? Those pure words. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation. How long? What's it say in your Bible? Forever. Forever. You're going to preserve them, the Word of God says. Now, you find the exact same words recorded in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, and in Mark chapter 13, verse 31, which simply says again, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Is that hard to understand? <laughs> is, is, is there something there that, that somehow that I'm, I'm not seeing, that I'm overlooking? I mean, these verses seem to be very clear and very positive. It's interesting, and you'll notice in some of the verses this morning and this evening, we, we find this thought of heaven and earth passing away being used in comparison to God's Word. We see it as a recurring theme in Scripture you know, we could think of a lot of things on this earth that, that it would be a pretty big thing if they just passed away and suddenly weren't there anymore. But what could be harder for us to imagine than nothing, nothing we see in earth or the heavens, <laughs> nothing existing, suddenly everything being gone. And yet he's trying to get this point that for his word to fail or for his word to pass away, it would be an easier thing for everything that exists not to exist anymore than for his word not to exist. How big a picture, what kind of confidence should that give us? Do you think that God has promised to preserve his word? Notice what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Notice what he says in verses 18 to 25. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, he says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but listen, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him, who believe in God, 
that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Notice these next words. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. He says, for all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. God doesn't even leave room for doubt that his word as he gave it, that it was to be preserved, that it would last forever, never passing away, preserving them forever, incorruptible, living and abiding forever, enduring forever. He uses all of those terms to try to give us the idea of just how sure we can be of having God's word. Now I ask you again, what does God say about the preservation of his word? I say, could he honestly express himself any clearer to us? How important is it what we believe about this? Well, we've just been reminded right here in Peter, as we're taught so many places in Scripture. Let me remind you that it's the word of God that is the very basis for our faith. As a matter of fact, without it, we have no faith, folks. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If we just have to base our faith upon what man tells us that God is like and God expects and God wants, then we have no faith. It's in trusting him and his word for the child of God. It's not only what brings us life in the first place, but it's that which sustains us day by day. We live by his word. Matthew 4, 4, I think I mentioned that one this morning. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's what we live by. And it's also that which one day will be our judge. In John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus said, The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. I'm saying to you that when we stand before God on the judgment day, now I hope and pray that here this evening, you see, everybody's going to stand before God. It's just a question of where and when. I trust and pray you can know that you'll be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, that you'll not be being judged by whether or not that you're saved, but it's just your works that will be judged for your rewards. But if you're not at the marriage supper of the Lamb, you will be at the great white throne of judgment. Folks, you don't want to be there because it's going to be late. But the thing that's going to judge every man is his word. That's what we will be judged by. How important is it? Is it important 
what we believe about this book that we call the Bible. You see, the thing that absolutely amazes me today is how little that Christians really believe about it. Oh, it's called the Bible, and they have a copy of it. So many times, they spend so little time with it, so little time feeding upon it, nourishing themselves, growing, being able to, to mature as a Christian. If so very much hinges on the very words, and yes, the words, not the concepts, not the ideas, and if God has promised in so many different ways here unequivocally to preserve them, how can we possibly doubt the preservation of his word? I can tell you without blinking an eye, I believe with all my heart in the inspired, inerrant, infallible, and indestructible word of God. <laughs> Nobody is going to take, take it away. Nobody's going to do it away, though the devil tries his dead-level best. But you know, it's only when that matter is settled that even then that we can begin to look at these other things, the manuscripts, the translations, the different styles. If we look at those things in light of true preservation of God's Word, you see, we don't have any of the original autographs today, do we? Not one. We don't have any of them. The manuscripts that we have are copies of copies of copies. Should that in any way weaken our faith in God's Word? Well, folks, it shouldn't. Not if you believe God. Not if you believe what He's promised. Not if you take Him for His Word. God cannot lie. He cannot get wrong. He's promised that it'll live forever and forever and forever. Now, those manuscripts suddenly take on a whole different perspective because, you see, there's only two real choices. And the way most of Christendom is gone is that which what they call textual criticism. In other words, what they're really saying is that we get our very best and most able scholars and we give them all these different manuscripts that we've got, all these bits of manuscripts, and we put them all together and they're going to look at all the differences and they're going to be able to reconstruct it back to what it said in its original form. That's the way that virtually every new translation that is on the market today, that's how it's come into being, folks. By man taking it all and him deciding what God meant because they can't accept that God has actually preserved it there anywhere. They believe that it's all got errors and they're the ones that's got to figure out and put it together and make it right again. You can either have textual criticism and let man decide for you what God meant. Or you can take God's word for it. And you can have God preservation. That means that God has done what he promised to do. That we do have his preserved word. And then it becomes important. Well, if we've got it, where is it at? If we don't have those original manuscripts, well, I could go into all kind of detail this evening and bore you with the 
Sinicatus and the Vaticanus and all these different things. But let me just tell you this, very simple and very short. Folks, you can take and study and read it for yourself. Now, first of all, if the Textus Receptus is not really the received text, if, if what we had that has been preserved there, which I believe that God's word has been preserved for us there, I believe God has kept his word, praise God. He didn't say he was going to do something and then find the job too hard. He has done what he promised to do. And I know, I know, and I, I can tell you this, you can get your mind in such a fizzle and so wrapped up and so turned up when you start reading behind all these people that's going to tell you why, that it can't be the word of God, that it can't be inherit, that it can't be preserved, that only those originals that don't exist anymore were. And if you're not careful, you can let them destroy your faith. Why? Because you're listening to men's ideas before you listen to what God says. You see, if you listen to God first, then you know what of men's ideas to brush aside and not pay any attention to anyway. You know, it don't take a whole lot of studying, Brother Steve. Do you know that those manuscripts that so many believe were so better that were found on Mount Sinai? Do you know where they were found when they were found there? <laughs> they were found by the fire where they were using them to start the fire with because they didn't even think that they were any good. Do you know that those, those manuscripts that they value so highly, that they had so many corrections and marks and things on them that that was never the way God allowed his word to be copied? Do you know that when Tischendorf went to the Vatican and he wanted to see what the Vaticanus, the manuscripts that Rome had held in its lockers or whatever, do you know that when they found out that he was copying it, they first got upset with him and sent him away. But then they let him come back and they let him copy them. And I, I forget now, I, I found it absolutely amazing the number of days that he took to copy them all <coughs> that had been preserved by the church. And listen, folks, I love Catholics. I love the Jehovah's Witness. I love the Mormons. I love all those. <laughs> but the truth is, we're talking about trusting that which has been held by the church of Rome that's taken and twisted and turned God's word talking about expecting that to be where God has preserved his word for you. Saying, and you know all their fancy tests? <laughs> they first of all said it had to be better because it was older. Well, that's ludicrous anyway. I've never seen where that something was more accurate because of its age. I don't understand what, even if they were right on that, why it's more accurate just because it's older. <laughs> but the fact is they found out that they might have been wrong in their dating after all in, in some of those areas. If God, do you know that God's people always, just as I said this morning, he's always had that remnant that right down through have held to his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and yes, indestructible word. Always. There have been those that have had the faith and the confidence. I can look you straight. Folks, you don't have to be afraid to have confidence in God's word if you start with God and believe what he's promised you. Now listen to me and don't take what I'm saying wrong. I am not saying <coughs> that you can only get saved from the King James Bible. I'm not saying that you can't be a Christian and read something else. I'm just saying this. I'm telling you why 
that I use the King James Bible. Because first of all, I genuinely in my heart believe that God will do what he said he'd do and that he preserved his word in the Texas Receptus. And I also believe that when you begin to look, there's three basic styles of translation, folks. You can have a paraphrase, which is basically where the man takes it. He reads what's been said, and then he just makes up his own story about it to try to make it as simple and easy and interesting to understand as possible. You've got what most Bibles use today, which is called dynamic equivalence. And you know what, you know what that's really saying is that they're taking and that they're reading it in this language, but then they're saying the same thing in our language now in our modern time to say the same thing as that did. Some man's going to decide for me what God really meant by what he said. Now, some people are comfortable with that. I'm telling you, if the word of God is important as what we have said it is, I'm not just sticking to my old Bible because that somehow that I think that, you know, that, that all of these and the thous and all those, our language is deteriorated. Those ye's and you's and these and thous, they tell us a whole lot of things that those Bibles today don't because We've just gotten so simple in our language that we don't separate those things anymore. That doesn't mean that we should weaken God's word so that we can understand it better. I think most of you realize and understand. Most of you have been places where that they've used other Bibles. Or you've got friends that you know are Christians and love the Lord and they use other Bibles. And you know that most of those people don't even know why. It's just because some preacher somewhere has told them it was okay, that it was better, because some church has just used it as their Bible. I've always challenged people here, you know, know why you're making the choices you're making. Be able to give an answer. You know, we use the Bible we use for a reason. And I'm not putting the others down. They'll have to answer to God for themselves. I'm just saying, what kind of translation do you want? I want a literal translation. If it's God's word, I want it translated as literal as it possibly can be into the language that I'm reading. And then let me figure out what God's saying for myself through the help of the Holy Spirit. Don't put some man in between me and him to try to interpret God for me. I want a literal translation. And I want it from the text that I believe that God has kept his word in promising. And there's a lot of them out there. There might be some that will turn this on and listen to it on the internet. And they'll think, you narrow-minded, ignorant preacher, you. And that's fine. That's fine. I'm glad I'm narrow-minded and ignorant enough to take God for his word. I'm not condoning ignorance. And I know that a lot of people do what they do with the best of intentions. But I'm saying I have a reason. And I believe that when you believe truly in inspiration, in inerrancy, in infallibility, in preservation, in the indestructibility of God's word, that it becomes very important to you what you hold and cherish as God's word. Now, don't be guilty of going to the other extremes either. Again, that's between them and God. There are those out there that'll believe in that the Bible's been inspired again, that there's double inspiration, that your King James Bible will correct those original manuscripts and whatnot. Folks, there is no grounds for that. We have a translation. But I'm saying to you, if God promised to preserve his word, I believe that he preserved his word in the original languages. 
And I believe that his hand was upon those translators in a very special way and that for us in the English-speaking world, his word has been preserved for us right there in our King James Bibles and we can have confidence in it and we can count on it. I'm not saying that some of the others aren't easier to read. Do you want easy to read or do you want accuracy? Do you want something that you can have absolute confidence in or something that somebody else has taken and with all of their scholarly intellect... They're in some way or another telling you what God meant by what he said. I'm saying it all becomes very, very important. I don't believe that everybody out there is a heretic because they use another Bible. I'm saying that this is one of the things. You know, some things are fundamental. I believe that what you believe about the Word of God is fundamental. I believe you've got to accept God's Word as being inspired, inerrant, infallible, indestructible. I've got a couple more to give you. You've got to have those things to be fundamentally sound. I'm just saying when you take by those things, when you make your choice on what Bible to use, it don't leave me with, with a hard choice at all. You know what? Most of you probably know it. I was a lot smarter when I was younger and, and even the very first Bible that I ever bought for my wife was a New American Standard Bible. But <laughs> she'd never been in church. I wanted to get her something she could be sure to understand. So I went out and bought her a New American Standard Bible. Out of ignorance. I'd always, always been brought up on the King James myself. But I had to do some studying myself. And as I came, I've made my choice. Everybody don't have to agree with me. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to spend all my time trying to get them around to my point of view. I've made my choice. I'm going to stand by it. I'm going to live by it. I'm going to die by it. It's what I'm going to preach from. It's what I'm going to teach from. It's what I can have absolute confidence in. I've got God's Word. Now, yes, I don't have the, the original manuscripts, and I'm not so naive to think that I know this is a translation. But I believe that God has used His preserved Word that he gave right from the beginning, that he's given it to us in our English language, that we can live by it and die by it and count on it. And I don't have any trouble saying to you whatsoever that I have to open this and wonder, well, I wonder if that part's right or this part's right. If they got that, no, I believe that God has graciously allowed his word to be preserved for us right there. And I could go into all kinds of other issues, folks, on it. I want you to grasp and understand the importance of understanding what preservation is all about and beginning with God. And has God promised that or has he not? Now, I'm just very quickly going to give you these. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. And notice what it says in verse 10 and 11. He says, For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. You see, 
We read that verse a moment ago. When we looked at that verse, we said that that ought to give us confidence in knowing that he didn't just give it to us perfectly, but that it would accomplish all that he sent it to do. Well, I want to, I want to tell you something else that you see in that passage. You can find it many other places, but there's something else about God's word today. God's word that is inspired, inerrant, infallible, and indestructible. Folks, it's indisputable. <laughs> it's indisputable. We've got too many people today that want to argue and dispute God's word. The truth is God said what he meant and he meant what he said. What was it that uh, I, I used to hear, you know, some of the, uh, some of the old preachers when I was growing up, you know, talk about the fact that, uh, you know, people used to go around and said, you know, God said it and I believe it and that's it. Well, no, truth is God said it and that's it. It don't matter whether you believe it or not. It's still it. <laughs> it's God's word. And I'm saying the truth is, you know, we have many that will dispute us today. There are many, especially when it comes to many of the things that were written, they say, oh, that was the cultures at the time, or that had to do with this and that and the other. And many today would tell us that somehow that, you know, I don't guess it's a bad word for me to say it. You know, many, many of them just think that we as Christians are just bigots, <laughs> that we just somehow have it in for certain groups because that we say that it's possible to to love the homosexual but hate the sin of homosexuality. You don't have to condone the sin to care for the person. You don't have to pretend it's all right, and you certainly don't have to put them in the pulpits to preach to you either. That doesn't, I don't love them any less. But folks, it's indisputable. God's the one that said it was an abomination. I didn't make that up. That's not something that's come from our Baptist forefathers. That's what God said. Old Testament and New Testament, if you want to look at it find that when God says it, that's the authority. That settles it. That's it. We ought to be, we ought not to be scratching our heads trying to figure out how to get around it or does that really apply to us today? Don't worry. If it doesn't apply to you, God will tell you that it doesn't apply to you. God gave it to us. God hasn't changed and he's never changed his mind once he's given us anything. God's word is indisputable. There's one other thing that I want to give you about God's word. If I can put my glasses on. Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. Notice what it says in verse 18 and 19. That part of my Bible's falling apart here. Revelation chapter 22, verse 18 and 19. He says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now, folks, we don't, we don't base a whole doctrine on one verse. There are many that would try to dispute and say, well, you know, that's just talking about the book of Revelation. And, and, and in its exact context, yes, he's writing about this book. But folks, it ties right in with the same thing that he's given us in all of these other verses. God has already said it. God has given it to us. And I'm telling you that God's word, his word that is inspired, that is inerrant, that is infallible, that is indestructible, that is indisputable, is also 
inclusive. It's final. It's there. You know, so much of the confusion today around us, so much of the confusion because man has his special revelation or he has his special idea. Do you know that almost every cult that we've got out there is because somebody has got a further revelation from God. Somebody has got something else beyond this book and look where it leads them. We can't base it on man's. God said it's final. It's final. It's inclusive. It's got everything there that he's. Now, you know, even the Bible tells us that you couldn't even begin to contain all the things that Jesus did himself even. But it's all that God has given to us. It's all that we need for everything that we could ever possibly need in our lives. So that faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, complete, sufficient for every spiritual need, the basis of that faith, folks, is in the Word of God. That's where we find out Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. That's where we find out that he rose the third day because it couldn't keep him. That's where we find out that we're sinners. That's where we find out what God requires, the penalty of that sin. That's where we find out what God did for us out of his love to pay for that sin in our stead. That's where we find out what God, even as a believer, as a child of God, how we can live to make him happy, to please him, to glorify him, to honor him. It's all here. Everything that we need for living our lives, everything that will be required of us in this life and the next, he's given it to us, and we have it. And I'm saying to you that as we move through this study and we look at a lot of these doctrines, the fundamentals that must not ever be compromised, that it better come from here. It's got to be based upon what God has already given us. I'm going to read these couple of verses to you, and I'm going to, I'm going to stop for tonight. In John chapter 5, in verse 24, I've read these verses to you. I want to go back and remind, uh, remind you of them just in closing. John chapter 5, and in verse 24, the Word of God says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. How important might one word be? How important if it's by hearing and believing this word that we can have everlasting life, that we can pass from death unto life, we find that in 2 Peter chapter 3, I want to give you this, this warning that God has given to us, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse, beginning in verse, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night into which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. 
Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. An account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. He said, beware, lest ye be led astray. I am as aware as probably any of you here tonight that even these points that we're looking at concerning the Word of God, I am fully aware that there are a lot of well-educated, well-meaning scholars in all kinds of different areas that would disagree with me and some of the things that I've said. But you know, this evening, that's not my concern, and I don't mean that in a nasty way. I begin with what God says, and I will give an account as I stand before God one day as the under-shepherd that's standing here and preaching and teaching to you these truths. I will give an account. And I say to you unashamedly this evening, folks, realize Realize how important that the Word of God is. It's the only thing that can bring you to life. It's the only thing that can sustain you in life. Realize how much confidence that you can have in it. If you can grasp the truth that literally every word of it is God-breathed, that it is inerrant, that it cannot fail, it will accomplish what God has sent it to do and that he's promised to preserve it forever and ever. You don't have to worry about it. He's preserved it because he's kept his word. You don't have to worry about debating it with everybody else because it's indisputable. Folks, it's inclusive. It's final. It's all you need. If you had no other book on your Christian shelf except this one, praise God, you could still be a strong, mature Christian that could give an answer for your faith. But if you had all of man's books without this one, you'd still have to have questions. You'd still have to wonder. Recognize it. And I want to say to you, I, I have always told you from this pulpit, these things that I shall be giving you concerning the fundamentals of the faith, if I can't back them up and support them and take you to you in the Word of God, then you come to me and show me. Because that's where they've got to be grounded. That's what you need in your life. You need to know what you believe. You need to know why you believe it. Mm -hmm. 